We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, Thank a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. Steve Hartman, CBS yes, News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. I don't know if I need to even say anything else. I'm Scott Weatherford. Good morning. Welcome on this cold, blustery day in beautiful central Texas, uh, the diamond in the heart of the hill country, right? Wouldn't you say that? But you know, forgiveness is one of those topics well, I can't think of a better way to end this, this series on Luke, my intentional discipleship, than dealing with this topic, because this topic eats at us probably more than any other topic. This morning in my time with the Lord, I was reading again through Luke, and I thought this is what I thought. I've taught 18 sessions on Luke, 
Uh, nine of them have been in sermons, and if you want to call what I do sermons, and, and not, some say it's a comedy routine, but you know, who knows. And nine of them have been on, uh, on small group videos that you can capture on the web. And I hope you've entered into, and this is what I thought, I have not even begun to touch the surface of Luke. Even though it's 18 talks, it would just not even touch the topics that Luke covers. But I want to end this probably with the thing that draws us into more than anything else. In fact, this is the thing that the disciples said, Lord, help us. They didn't say that about feeding the 5,000. They didn't say that about watching the the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk and the dead raised. They said this about forgiveness. Lord, increase our faith. Because this is probably the hardest thing we will deal with in our lives is forgiveness. Why? Because we're all going to need to give it and we've all received it. And you're probably going to need to receive some more, maybe in the parking lot on the way out today. You'll need to pray for forgiveness or ask someone to forgive you or forgive someone that's offended you. I love King David in his rawness. In the Psalm, King David says this. Let me read it for you. This is Psalm 52, one through seven. It'll be on the screen. You call yourself a hero, do you? You boast about the crime of yours and you have God's people. All day long, you plot destruction. Your tongue cuts like a sharp razor. You're an expert at telling lies. You love evil more than good and lies more than the truth. You love to say things that harm others, you liar. But God will strike you down once and for all. He will pull you out of your home and drag you away from the land of the living. The righteous will see it and be amazed. They will laugh and say, look what's happened to the mighty warrior who did not trust in God. They trust in their wealth instead of grow more and more bold in their wickedness. That's in the Bible. I prayed that prayer before. Haven't you? And when you've betrayed and you've been done wrong, and that angry rant of David shows me, get this, that my emotions are okay. And God wants to work through my emotions to bring me to his liberating truth. Liberating truth. You see, the pain of betrayal will allow Satan to claim areas of your life that were meant for God's glory. Take back your heart. Refuse to let Satan take that ground that's been stolen. You see, you're in control of your heart. You're in control of your emotional response. It's not the circumstances that happen to you it's the emotions that happen in you that start shaping your life. Are, are you guys agreeing with that? And so how do I do this? How do I get to the place? Because this is good preaching points, y'all. And as I was preparing this talk, which is, I'm going to warn y'all, it's a little bit long. Because it's going to take some time to unpack all of this. Then I started thinking, boy, they need to hear this. And you know what God said to me? Back at you, Jack. You need to hear this. And as I started reading and studying, in fact, I told Wyatt, I said, Wyatt, this this sermon's going to get longer. And he says, well, you study some more and cut it down. I said, no, Wyatt, it didn't work that way. The more I study, the longer it'll get. So we're going to stop with what I got so far because there's so much more to be said in this. Jesus has a lot to say about forgiveness. And we need to learn and adjust our lives. This is not one of those talks where you're going to say, 
well, I hope so-and-so hears this. I hope you hear this, and I hope I hear this, and I hope that when we walk out these doors today, we could be people who live in the power of forgiveness with the gift of self-awareness to be the hope of the world. Are y'all ready for this? You have no idea. Are y'all ready for this? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us today. And I pray, Father, that you speak through me, that it will not be my words or my thoughts or even my pattern of thinking that will shape our conversation. Father, that, um, that you will be the Lord of all we are, that we can, can take control of our heart because we're going to give our hearts to you, who is in control of everything. So thank you for what you're going to say and do. I pray this in your name. Amen. So my brother told me a story recently. Stan, you remember your favorite Weatherford? He told me a story recently. He said there was an old couple in this church, and they were negative and critical. They complained and whined about everything, and they were miserable to each other. They were miserable to everybody around them. But they had been married 60 years, 60 years of misery. Can you all imagine that? Don't say out loud. 60 years of, of misery. And the people in their church wanted to do something to encourage him. So they threw them a 60th wedding anniversary party. And they, they said nice things to him. They gave him gifts, and they were, they were nice to him. Did Stan tell this? Okay, good, good. Guys, we'll make sure. I'm going to steal my thunder. And so they threw him, threw him a party, and they gave him gifts, and they gave him encouragements and cards and notes, and they got in the car to go home. And the, the old lady said to the old man, said, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. All these years... We've been negative and critical and, and complaining, and we've been mean to one another. And 60 years we've been married. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. And the old man, he gave his usual response, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. He said, we really ought, I, you know what we ought to do? He goes, what, woman, what, we ought, what should we do? He said, we should pray. We should pray. We should pray that one of us dies, and I can go live with my sister. Well, I'm not going to pray. <laughs> In fact, I think I caught Tara praying that the other day. Yeah. But let's lean into this. And let's look at Luke chapter 17, and we're going to go through 1 through 13. And I will say this, uh, 1 through 11, excuse me. I want to say this before I get into this. Next week, we start the, the series on signs. We're going to look at the seven signs out of the book of John that leads us to the Savior, leads us to Easter. We are seven weeks out from Easter. Actually, eight, including today. Isn't that incredible? Eight weeks out, including today, from Easter. Easter Sunday, Easter weekend, we're going to have four gatherings. We're going to have a Friday, Good Friday gathering. Two years ago, we did a Good Friday gathering that was memorable and impactful and great for us as a church family. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper together on Good Friday, so you look forward to that. And then Sunday, Easter morning, we're going to have an 8 o'clock, a 9.30, and 11 o'clock gathering. So you can come to one and serve one, Okay. And uh, let's expect God to do a great thing Easter weekend. Are y'all with that? People come to Jesus best in the arm of a trusted friend. You be the friend that brings people to Christ. Now take out your notes and let's jot down some things. Here's the first thing I want you to gather out of this talk. Woe to the one who's offensive. Woe to the one who's offensive, who brings the offense. Jesus said this, and he said to his disciples, offense will surely come. Isn't that true? Offense will surely come. We live with people, and people bring problems. If you live with people, they will hurt your feelings. People are trouble. Have you gathered that? 
And we give birth to trouble, don't we? And, and so he says, woe to the one, fences will come, but woe to the one they come through. What? Woe to the one who's bringing the offense. If you're an offensive person, woe to you. Now we're gonna talk about that in a second. It would be better for him if a millstone were tied around his neck and thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now automatically people go, well, he's talking about people that hurt children. You know what that's called? Ignorance. That's not looking at the etymology of the phrase there. Jesus said in Greek, the ones who would cause the weak ones, the weak in faith, the immature, the new believer, the ones that are easily susceptible. Now he was speaking to his disciples because their role models were the scribes and Pharisees. And what they did, they spent their life bringing complaint against everyone. He said, woe to you. It's better that you did not even exist if you brought this. Oh. Now, you say, well, I'm not a scribe or a Pharisee, but are you guilty of being offensive? And the answer is an overwhelming, yep. You and me, both. Hmm. So watch yourselves. Jesus says, be self-aware. Watch yourself. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there's repentance, forgive them. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm only to forgive if they repent. Now, we'll get into that in just a minute. But you look at this, and you have to understand that people will offend you, but here's the deal. I could choose not to be easily offended. Now, we live in a day and age where everybody's offended by everything. Have you noticed that? Especially if you watch television, you watch the news channels, you'll get, you know, used to, you just got the news. You know, Walter Cronkite said, and that's the way it is. And he didn't extrapolate his political agenda or views, but we don't get that anymore, do we? We get, when news cycle is 24-7, and you get the same thing over and over and over, if you watch CNN, you're going to be misinformed. If you watch Fox, you're going to be mad. And so can you find a balance there? Uh, my friend Ted Cunningham was in this weekend. He said, for every hour of Fox News you watch, you should watch an hour of Joel Osteen just so you could be happy. <laughs> balance that out. Now, I'm not recommending that. Don't send, if you want to send me an email complaining about that, it's Wyatt at FBCWimberly.com. So you understand that we, we cannot be easily offended. Now, I've been a pastor a long time, y'all, a long time, 38 years. Do you think I've ever been, a, people said offensive things to me? Yes, as recently as this morning, saying things. I had a lady, I preached a sermon in Canada, and uh, why is it that people with a southern accent, everybody thinks they're ignorant? It's just because they don't know how to talk, Right? And so she, I preach a message on the theology of marriage. Uh, I've done that here for you guys, and y'all don't remember it. It's fine. I could preach again today. Y'all wouldn't remember it. But the theology of marriage, and it is a very complex talk, and I gave that talk, and, and she came out, and she goes, uh, yeah, Pastor Scott, you know, yeah, hey, you're, you're not as dumb as people think you are, eh? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, why do you respond to that? You know, it's like, you don't look quite so fat in that shirt. That's a good shirt for you. 
And so it's that I could choose to be wounded by that or I could choose to say, you know what, bless their hearts. <laughs> right? And so the, the deal is that I am the one who protects my heart. It says in Proverbs, guard your heart above all things, for it is the wellspring of what? Of life. Of life. To guard my heart. And when I guard my heart, I need to learn to guard my mouth too. Hmm. Being offensive, then, Jesus says, is serious business. Woe to you when you're offensive. Woe to you when you say things and do things that causes people to be hurt. Unguarded comments. Now, this is what I've discovered. This, I'm going to tell you this. Some people, and I'm going to say this in love, some people are just ignorant. They just don't know better. They just don't know any better. And it's not like they're out there trying to hurt you. or They just say things. They're just ignorant. Aren't you? Wouldn't you all agree with that? Some of y'all are married folks like that, aren't you? Don't point them out. Don't nudge them right now. Some of y'all married into people like that, didn't you? called your in-laws. Some people are just careless. They have an attitude, well, I don't care what you think. I don't say I don't want to. You know what that's called? Selfish. I really ought to care about what you think. Not trying to adjust myself, but trying to protect you. I ought to care about what you think. Shouldn't you ought to care about what other people think? Shouldn't you? Oh, no, I'm just going to live for myself. You know what that's called? It's called arrogance. It's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and you not even exist than you to say, I don't care what other people think. You ought to care what other people think. And to dive into your own heart and your own behavior and say, what am I doing? What should I be doing? And some people, they're mean. They're just mean. And they're looking for an opportunity to be offensive. And they're looking for an opportunity to wound and malign. And this is what I've discovered about those kind of people. There's usually some damaging thing that's happened in their life that's caused a root of bitterness to spring up in them that causes them to defile every relationship. Hmm. It says in Hebrews 12, 15, be careful that a root of bitterness does not spring up amongst you that defiles many. And so to look at our life, how am I offensive? How do you know when you're offending someone? Are you just rude or just careless? Are you leading people astray? How am I leading people astray? Get this, by my example. When I was growing up, I used to hear this a lot. You need to guard your testimony. Y'all ever hear that growing up? No? You need to guard your testimony. You need to be careful what you do. And usually guarding your testimony at where I grew up in a Baptist church was referring to drinking alcohol. You need to guard your testimony. In other words, you need to drink by yourself. <laughs> we did a married couples retreat. When I was in Texas, down in church in Texas, we did a married couples retreat, and the hotel we were doing it said, are you guys going to need a bar, an open bar? And, and the lady who was handling the details, she came in my office. She said, they asked me if we needed a bar. And I said, what did you tell them? I said, no, we won't need a bar. And this is what they said. Y'all are Baptists, right? I said, yeah. I said, oh, good, because we make a lot more money off the mini bars in the room. <laughs> are we leading by example? In other words, when somebody's negative and critical, do we join into that or do we stop it? Are we leading by example? Are we offensive by example? 
Are we offensive, creating fits through gossip? Now, we, we're far, we don't gossip, do we? No, we share prayer requests, right? Y'all just need to pray, and then you spill out your gossip, right? It may not be centered on anything factual, but you're going to pray. Do you, do you spread, are you being offensive through slandering? I love this quote, I just don't trust their motives. Y'all ever hear that? I just don't trust their motives. And the thing about it, I don't even know my motives most of the time. How can I know yours to trust yours or not trust yours? Because my heart, even though I should guard it, is deceptively wicked. And I'm usually bent towards my own self-preservation and my own self-edification than I am yours. Am I by myself? I'm glad this side agrees. Y'all, we're going to pray for y'all over there. Am I leading people astray through teaching false doctrine? Now, as a pastor, I'm your sheepdog. When a wolf comes in, I'm going to bite them. If you're teaching false doctrine, I will come get you. Why? Because little lamb, little lamb, little innocent lamb, the sheepdog's going to bite that wolf or he bites you. Is that a deal? But some of y'all have to be sheepdogs too, that we protect from false doctrine. Or are we openly divisive? Openly divisive. That we create drama. We, we are divisive. Now, there's a difference between being offensive and, defense and divisive. What is the difference between being offensive and divisive? Now, both of these behaviors are damaging. The difference between these two require two different responses. Let me share those from with you. It's out of Matthew 18. Here's the first one. If someone's offensive, this is what you do. If your brother sins against you, if, you better make sure you've been sinned against and not just got your feelings hurt, okay? It's like the woman who said to me, Pastor Scott, you're not as dumb as people think you are. Okay, I could have just like, and had a private meeting then brought her before the elders and voted her out of the church. Or I could just say, bless your heart and move on, right? She didn't offend, she didn't offend me. She said something out of her paradigm of understanding. Translated out of her ignorance. Out of her presupposition, because I had a southern accent, I wasn't nearly as intelligent as someone who did not have a southern accent. Hmm. Now, in Texas, we, we don't understand that. But go to Canada, and you will. If he sins, go and rebuke him in private. In other words, go and say, hey, 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 you know, you, you hurt me. You, you did this, and we need to talk about it. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be, re be established. If he pays no attention then, tell the church. Now, Jesus was teaching this before the ecclesia was formed. He said, tell the church. And he used the word, the gathering, the assembly. Those in the circle of influence. And their oikos in their circle of influence. Go and tell them. Then, but if he doesn't pay attention, even to the church, even to the assembly, then let him be like, a, like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. What does that mean? Shun them. No. You pray for them, but you don't let them in your heart. You honor them from a distance. You love them. You respect them. You don't gossip. You don't slander. You, don't, you, just, you, you just honor them from a distance, hoping that distance will cre create repentance. Huh. That's for an offensive person. What about for a, a divisive person? Someone who causes division. If people are causing division among you, this is Titus 3, 10, and 11. 
causing division among you. Give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them, for people like that have turned away from the truth, and their own sin condemns them. Their own sins condemn them. So if someone is offensive, then I could forgive them, and I can reestablish relationship with them if they will come back. But I can honor them from a distance. If they're divisive, divisive really means a habitual pattern of creating division. Do y'all know anybody like that? If you don't, it's probably you <laughs> creating division among you. That you warn them, say, hey, you need to stop this. You warn them, say, hey, I told you you need to stop this. Second night, go, you know what? You just go on. Hoping that they will come and have a conversion and say, you know what, this is who I am, and they can be welcomed back, but their own sins have condemned them. Wow. Now, I want to be very honest with you guys. Try to always be honest with you, but uh, here's the deal. I didn't want to preach this today. Actually, I begged the Lord, and I looked for another passage I need preaching. God said, suck it up, buttercup. You're preaching this. And why? Because I need to hear this. And I think we're in the season in the life of our church where we need to hear this. Wouldn't you agree? And that we need to deal with who we are and what we are. Okay, now here's the deal. If someone's offensive, then forgive them. If they're divisive, then forgive them and avoid them. And you'll see that they'll be divisive in every area of your life. Now, I wrote this down this morning. I want you to get this. If you're an offensive or defensive person, you need to repent. If you're offending people or you're divisive, you need to stop it. You need to repent. You need to stop it. Change your heart and change your ways. Change your heart and change your ways. This is serious business. You have to become self-aware. What am I doing? What should I be doing? I have noticed that when I'm unsettled or emotionally out of line, then everything is under my critical attack. Everything. When something hasn't gone my way, then I want to be offensive to everyone and critical of everything and cause division with everybody. My mother used to say this, Scott, you know a hit dog will holler. What? A hit dog will holler. And I thought, what in the world? She means, she means this, when something affects me, I'm going to holler about it and complain, and then I'm going to allow, and she said, you know what, Scott? A hit dog will bite you. He'll bite you. He'll bite you. If he's hit, you need to stay away from him. He'll bite you. Y'all ever tried to pick up a dog out of the road that's been hit? They'll think a dog will bite you. And there's some of y'all that have been wounded deeply by your parents or by your circumstances or by a spouse or someone, and you're just, you're wounded, and when we touch you, <laughs> so everything becomes a problem, right? Everything has become a problem. And then she would say this. This is crazy talk. It's like, Mama, what are you talking about? She said, Scott, sometimes you're like an old wasp. I said, an old wasp? You're going around with your stinger wrung out. My stinger wrung out. What in the world does that mean? I'm looking for an opportunity to sting somebody because I'm so dadgum miserable. Oh. What mama was saying with their southern colloquialisms, does any of that make sense to y'all? Is it because I've been wounded, I want you to enter into my misery. And what I need is Jesus. 
What I need is Jesus, right? And so did, this side's on it. Y'all, y'all need to kind of, let's have a revival on this side of the room, all right? Dan, are you leading them astray over there, brother? Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Dan, you can't hear, so it's all right. We'll, we'll, we're going to pray over you next week, though, brother. Yeah, okay. I'm teasing. Don't be, I'm so offended. He picked on Dan. Dan, you know I love you, right? And Dan, you love me. I owe you 20 bucks now. That's right. Okay. All right. I wrote this down as well. I have also noticed I can borrow someone else's disgruntled behavior and make it mine and repeat it among the brethren. Whoo. Do I need to read that again? I believe I do. I, can no, I notice I can also borrow someone else's disgruntled behavior or attitude and I can make it mine, and I can spread it with contagion. Whew. Y'all, I'm reading a real good book now. It's a, a book by Malcolm Gladwell. I've read it years ago, and I picked it up and read it again. It's called Tipping Point. What causes things to tip and to go big and go viral and go exponential? And I've been reading it about us as a family because I think what God's doing here needs to be contagiously spread throughout all of Texas. Wouldn't you agree with that? And how does that become a tipping point? And I've read that, and it's, it's, there's one thing called the few. The few that catch fire and spread it through everyone. Huh. The few works the same thing through a disgruntled, negative, critical spirit. More effectively than positive. Oh, okay. Listen to this, 1 John 1, 1 uh, 8 and 9. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, that's to Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I have a pathway back to relationship with God. I've already been forgiven through the cross. But I can have the cleansing of restored fellowship with him if I just admit it. God, here I am again. He goes, I know. A healthy church has healthy relationships that are void of drama. Read that with me. A healthy church has healthy relationships that are void of drama. Hmm. And I wrote this this morning. The church would become the hope of the world if we would just love each other and lose the drama. By this, all men will know that we are Christians because we're boycotting everything on the earth. No, that we love one another. That we love one another. Hmm. So we must live with a forgiving heart. I must live with a forgiving heart. Jesus goes on to say in Luke chapter 17, verse 4, even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, Wait, wait, wait. You said, woe to them, it's offensive. Be better thrown in the sea. And, you know, you, he, said, now, he says, even if that person wrongs you seven times each day and it turns again and asks for forgiveness, you've got to forgive them. What? Of course, there's another in gospel says 70 times seven. That forgiveness is a perpetual thing with someone who loves the Lord. See, Jesus ups the bar on forgiveness. In the Hebrew world, in that world that today, you can forgive somebody once, maybe twice after that, done. But not seven times in a day. 
What does that mean? Does that, it says I'm going to let people off the hook. I'm going to let them behave poorly. No, no, no. You're going to let them get this. You're going to not allow them to rent space in your head. You're going to guard your heart above all things, for it is the wellspring of life. I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Sifted Leadership. In chapter five of that book, I talk about dealing with difficult people. I had to go back and read my old book to remember what I said because I forget. I forget. And this is one thing I said about leading a church through revitalization. It's what I said. I allowed negative and critical people to rent space in my head instead of fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. I had made criticism a God that stole my focus. Am I by myself on this one? This side again. Blessed are you. We're going to keep praying for y'all, okay? All right. You're going to get it here for long. So I must live with a forgiving heart. Now, what does that mean? Your reaction to the offense shows your true level of spiritual maturity. To be offended or to say, it's okay, you're forgiven. It's all right. It's okay, whatever. Whatever. But that's hard. And I read this and I go, am I so immature that I'm looking for my feelings to be hurt? And the answer is yes. I could forgive an offense before a person asks for forgiveness. Did you know that? That's called, that's called living with a pre-forgiven heart. The other night we were at uh, Oakwood. My friend Ted Cunningham was down, and he did a co- date night comedy night. We went. My small group went. I saw some, some few of you others there at it. It was awesome. I love my friend Ted. Ted's a great communicator. And then Ted was talking about, and, and at the break, you know, he talked about marriage. But at the break, they gave the people at Oakwood gave away gifts. We're not talking about little gifts. They were giving out a hundred dollar prepaid Visa cards. I almost moved my membership, y'all. I mean, <laughs> and what this is, is they gave $100 away, and that Visa card had 100 bucks on it. It was pre-spent. Pre-spent. Can I live with a pre-forgiveness card in my heart? Then I'm forgiving you before you ask. Love covers a multitude of sins, Right? Can I live with that kind of heart? Can I forgive an offense before a person asks? That doesn't mean I allow the offending party to keep on wounding me, but I allow them not to rent space in my head. Forgiveness is a gift I give to myself. I give it to myself. I should live in that way. Now, forgiveness and correction then go hand in hand. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians Six, one through three. Y'all having fun yet? Dear brothers and sisters, if another person is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, so gently and humbly help, them, help that person back into the right path. And be careful. Be careful. Be careful that you, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and live in a way, obey the law of Christ if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Wow. You see, my problem 
instead of going and rescuing them, I just want to leave them alone. I just want to leave them alone. But sometimes I could step in too soon because God is working out an obedience, a disciplining in their life, and I can rescue them too soon and miss the pain that God is trying to bring them through to teach them a lesson, and that's called being codependent and enabling Or I can let the Holy Spirit guide my life to where I want to say, I'm going to wait for God to give me the opportunity, and then I'm going to step in and bring correction. Now, here's my problem. This is my problem. I'm going to talk to you guys over here. Y'all need it. Here's my problem. I usually don't want repentance. I want a pound of flesh. Am am I by myself over here? See, I want God to smack him. Give him something awful, God. Instead of saying, God, how do you want me to enter into a restoration? Whew, your pastor's got a long way to go, y'all. Paul said it this way in Romans 12. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. There's a, a situation in the Old Testament. It's really kind of interesting. Y'all, y'all probably remember this. The prophet was in a town. and was surrounded by the armies. And then the prophet says to his assistant, the, the greater is he that is with us and is against us. And he opened his eyes and he could see the armies of heaven surrounding these armies that had come to, to, to hell the city captive. And he caused them to fall blind, caused that army, the evading army, to be blind. And then someone led them, the prophet led them into the, to the capital city of Israel's gates where they were captured. They were blind. He led them all and they were captured. They knew this. This is what the enemy knew. They knew when they were captured by the Israelites... The Israelites would not execute them. They would feed them and send them home. They would feed them and send them home. Why? Because that was the way of God. Ooh. Now, y'all are probably about right where the disciples were. They said, Lord, help us. You see, I've taught this passage in segments before. But when I look at it in the totality, it makes so much sense. Look at this. And the apostle said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. Because really, God, you're talking about something we can't do here. You're talking about forgiveness that seven, to- seven times a day, really? 70 times seven, really? We can't do this. This is impossible. You have no idea what I have to put up with. You have no idea about my mother-in-law. You have no idea about my children. You have no idea about my next-door neighbor and his dog out of the depths of hell that barks all night. You have no idea about that church I pastor. Help me, Jesus. Show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, listen to this. If you had a faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to that mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And I read that and I went, what? <laughs> Jesus, like out of the blue? 
what does this have to do with trees and faith and, and what Jesus was saying? The apostles knew that they could do this on the end. Jesus was saying that he would help them, but they have to lean into this by faith. They have to lean into Jesus by faith. And then this passage is often taken out of context. And we want to concentrate on the faith. And what Jesus wants to concentrate in on is the forgiveness. Lord, help me to be this thing. And forgiveness is harder than telling a mulberry tree to be uprooted and planted into the sea. It's harder. Even when you have forgiven someone, I wrote this down, I want you to get this. Even when you know you have forgiven someone, the emotions of the event can resurface and cause you to think that you really haven't forget, forgiven them. This is a lie right out of hell. Remember, feelings are just feelings. The truth will set you free. Y'all, there was a season in my life where I was in a spiritually abusive environment. And I struggled with for two years, just relentless, unforgiving, unforgiving, unforgiving. You know, God exposed them, dragged them out, let them be consumed. Give them some vile, cantankerous disease. That's a great attitude for a pastor, isn't it? And I mean, just and then one day, you know, the Lord said, Scott, how long are you going to let this keep poisoning you? And I remember getting down on my knees. I was two years removed from this. Getting on my knees, he said, God, I forgive them. I want to release this to you. I forgive them. Now, get this. Even when I describe that situation to you today, my feelings of being wounded come back to me. But I know the truth of what happened in my office that day. They are forgiven. And you know what I have to do with that, that, that group? Honor them from a distance. Pray for them, love them, but not get around them. Because there's something going on there that I don't need to be a part of. Are y'all there? Even those emotions come back. They're feelings. What is that song we used to sing? Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. I could sing it in Spanish. Dime. Nothing more than dime. Well, except for the nothing more thing. I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> so I need to release that. The only way to live this level of di discipleship is that I got to get over myself. And then Jesus says something else. You're going like, what? Oh. And as I looked at this in totality, he said, be careful if you're offensive. Stop it. If people are offending you, forgive them. Lord, we need help. Okay, I'm going to help you. And then he says, now listen, here's the way. Here's the pathway. You got to get over yourself. You're not the center of the universe. Then he tells this. And if you read it, I look, you're going, I don't see how this connects. But that's why I'm here. I want to show you how it connects. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, he doesn't say to his master, does he say to his master, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal. Or does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal and put on your apron and serve me while I eat. And then you can eat later. And then he does, this, does the master thank the servant for doing what he's told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we're unworthy servants we're only simply doing our duty. 
I, I used to read this, and I was going like, what is this? I mean, how does it? And then I realized, even though this seems out of, out of place, it's so in place. Jesus is saying, because you've been forgiven, you really are in no position to hold grudges. You're really in no position because you've been forgiven. The most, the most marvelous being in the universe, Jesus Christ, was the most offended. And what did he do? What did he do? He forgave us. While we were still sinners, Christ forgave us. Before the fruit had crunched in the Garden of Eden, Jesus had left for the cross of Calvary to bring forgiveness to us. Jesus has a pre-forgiven heart. And everything we do should be about Jesus and how we become like him. And if we say we're going to be forgivers, we're not going to be offenders, we're not going to be divisive, and we're not going to allow this in our lives and allow this in our family and allow this in our, in our relationships, then what we're doing is we're getting over ourselves. We're getting over ourselves. And I'm amazed by this, that Jesus would do this for me and for you. So what do I do? What do I do, Scott? Give me something practical. What do I do? When someone is divisive, stop it. Don't talk to me anymore. You need to go to Jesus. They come to you and they complain about someone. I said, you know what? Let you and I go to them and talk to them. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Oh, 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 oh. You want to see crawfishing? I'll do it for this side too. That's what they'll do. Because people want to hide behind. And this is what, this is what they'll do. I want to tell you what they'll do. They'll go like, I'll go to Dr. Cheatham right there. I said, Dr. Cheatham, you won't believe what Wyatt did to me, what he said to me. And Dr. Cheatham will politely listen. And then he'll walk off. And then I'll turn around and say, you want to hear what Dr. Cheatham said to me? He didn't say nothing to me. But what I did was borrowed his power to create division. And so what Dr. Cheatham should say, whoa, have you talked to Wyatt? Don't talk to me until you talk to him. Stop it. Stop it. And a little bit of that goes a long way. Now, I want to say this to you. I want you to listen to me very carefully because I love you guys. I love you guys. I love you, and I want you to live in such freedom and joy and peace. I have noticed a rise in our culture of what's called digital church. Now, some of you are going, whoa, 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 whoa. It's okay. There's people joining us online who would not normally be here. Do they matter to God? Yeah. Do you know why digital churches like satellite churches where the, the, the people gather and they hear the pastor preach on, on, on the, the screen. Do you, do you know why those are rapidly growing? Do you know why? Because there's no drama. There's no church drama. Especially in the South. Because that drama, that tension has been removed. I think this. I like to be in a live environment. I just do. 
I, like, I don't like preaching to a camera, even though I've done that, and I can do that. I'd rather talk to you because I love you. One day, we might have satellites because I'm not willing for anyone in central Texas to go to hell. Just say it. Would you all agree with that? And I'm looking at places in our, in our community, in our surrounding area that need a gospel witness, and we need to be bold. We need to be brave. We don't need to be insular and just be happy with our four and no more. We are called by God to join him in the depopulation of hell. But I believe that we, we're not going to do that unless we become drama-free. Now, will we ever become drama-free? No, because we're crazy as a bunch of coons in a sack. But can we learn to live together with the bond of peace? Can we? Hey, this side of the room, can we? Yeah. But it takes us to get over ourselves. I'm just a servant of Jesus. I've been forgiven. When I came to Christ, I lay aside my rights and my privileges and my title and my expectations. And Jesus, I'm yours. I live all for you. If you say go, I'm going to go. If you say forgive, I'm going to forgive. If you say love, I'm going to love. If you say confront, I'm going to confront. But I'm going to be led by his spirit and not by my emotion. And I'm going to try the best I can as a broken, flawed human being to say, Jesus, help me and give me the faith I need so I can live in this way. And as your pastor, I'm going to love you even when you offend me. Is that a deal? And I'm going to live with a pre-forgiven heart. Is that a deal? Will you do the same for me? I heard one enthusiastic yes. And you're now on, on the elder board. Okay. You see, the pain of being betrayed, being offended, will allow Satan to claim areas of your life that were meant for God's glory. So take back your heart. Take back your heart. Take back what Satan has stolen. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Restore because you have been restored. Be a peacemaker because they're blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will see God. They will see God.